There are two churches in Revelation chapter 3 that we focus on. One of them is dead and the other is alive. And we're going to talk about this as we discuss this in today's world. This is excellent. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we are discovering God's attitudes and God's approach to the church and why. The church I'm talking about. It's a very interesting look at how things are. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's up? Well, on yesterday's program, I took a look at the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. And today we are going to look at some archeological remains from the Temple Mount. Ryan? I've titled my segment today, Seven Letters to Seven Churches, Provincial, Public, Personal, Prophetic. And we're gonna talk about it more later on in the program. Excellent, Janice, what'd you do? Be ready. Okay, get your Bible guide out as we begin the book of Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 10. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is a most fascinating day for Bible Discovery TV because we spend the rest of our time in this year 
concentrating on the book of Revelation. We're going to be covering Revelation 1 to 3 today. And the book of Revelation is fascinating. Let me tell you, it is prophetic and intense. Its words come to us from John, the apostle who was witness of the ministry, witness of the life, witness of the death, and witness of the resurrection of Christ, during which he was trained by Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what happened really, for sure, to most of the apostles and the disciples of Jesus, though we can assume they faithfully fulfilled the Great Commission based on the rapid spread of Christianity. But Christian tradition does tell us a bit about John, that he lived a long life, eventually settling in the city of Ephesus. In Revelation, John shares the vision God gave him. And we see an interesting heavenly visions of Jesus and were treated to a front row seat of Christ in heaven and in the future. Now, John was an original guy and he was, all of us original, but he was chosen by God to experience all of these visions of Jesus. And now he has a sound of like a trumpet behind him, so loud and so sure, giving him this vision that he is startled but recognizes. And I think there's some interesting things that we're going to discover as we go along through this book. So get your Bible guide and turn to it today. Let me say to you that if you do not have the Bible guide, my question is why not? We'd love to send you one. And uh, you simply go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Be quick today. And uh, what you can, or you can call us or write to us, but BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the page. When you click on the page, it'll take you to a donate page. And let me say thank you so much for your donations. They really, they've kept us alive. You know, that's the important thing we do here. We live on your donations. So thank you for that. But you go to another page, which is downloading PDF files, which show you the Bible guide exactly how we printed it. So you're seconds away from being with us. And uh, that's what we're going to study today. Now, as we enter into this Revelation book, we need to pray because we are talking about two churches. And Father, I pray today, we're going to talk about these two churches. Help us to learn what this means. We need to stop messing around and get serious with the Lord. And those of us who are Christians need to be Christians, Lord. Help us to do that. And those of us who are trying to be Christians, Thank you, Father, for helping us, and thank you for rewarding us and keeping us steady with your word. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. Now, turn yourself to the book of Revelation. This is chapter 3, and this is fascinating. Now, in chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's Jesus Christ. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. What? They think they have a name and they're alive? But Jesus says, but you are dead. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. 
Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So God speaks to us. The church of Sardis is dead, but there are some who have kept faithful to the Lord, as we should always do. Beloved, did you hear what Jesus Christ said? He said, there's a church that thinks it's alive, but really it's dead. Nevertheless, there are some who truly know me. Beloved, there are always those who know Jesus Christ and have given him Lord of their life. And we should pay attention and we should do that. We should give our lives to Jesus Christ by allowing him to be Lord. Very important. Revelation 3, 7, and I, and to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, write these things, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David and who opens and no one shuts and he shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. it for, for you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, the gathering of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before you and your feet to know that I have loved you. And this is what God has told us. The church in Philadelphia loves God and his word. We must be people who love God faithfully and serve his desires, not our own. Serve God's desires, not our own. How's that? There's no commercial that says, you know, serve God's desires. No, there's not. But let me tell you something. When we do, God changes things in front of us. We need to resituate our hearts and our attitudes towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Now there's one verse left, and I want you to listen carefully. This gets important. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere. God has a command. My command to persevere. New Testament, my command to persevere. I will keep you from the hour of trial, listen now, which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I tell you, this, this, look, I, this is me. We are kept from the hour of trial. In my view, the catching up will take us. The catching up will take us. God is merciful and praise the Lord. L let me tell you something. That's what I believe. And I don't believe that because I've studied somebody uh, from 18, whatever, or any recent literature, none of that. I read the Bible. And as I was reading the Bible, God spoke to my heart. And he said, I'm coming back. I'm going to snatch people away. Now, that's what I believe personally. I don't know what you believe, but I know this. 
if we invite Jesus Christ to come into our heart and be the Lord of our life, then it will change everything. If we ask forgiveness of our sin, Father, forgive me for my sin. I choose to follow you. Be the Lord of my life. And I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that you would take my sin away. Help me, Lord, to follow you in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today, as a part of our scriptural assignment, we read Jesus Christ's seven letters to seven specific churches. Now, what's really fascinating about these letters is that they have at least three and maybe four different applications. The first application is local, meaning that these were real churches who were struggling with real problems as laid out in the letters. Now, the second application is a public one. These letters weren't just meant for those individual churches, but for all churches. But third, these letters are also to be applied on a personal level. They're for each and every one of us as well. And a fourth application, which isn't accepted by all scholars, but which is interesting to consider, is a prophetic application. According to this idea, these letters lay out in advance the future history of the church. Check it out. Although most number the New Testament epistles at 21, Technically, there are seven more because Revelation chapters 2 and 3 contains seven letters from Jesus Christ himself to seven churches in Asia. The churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. What's so fascinating about these letters is that they have at least three and maybe four different levels of application. The first application is local. These were actual churches in Asia. Of course, by Asia, the Bible doesn't mean the continent, but rather Asia Minor, which was a province of the Roman Empire and includes the western two-thirds of Turkey. In fact, it was world-renowned archaeologist and former Bible skeptic Sir William Ramsey who painstakingly researched these churches and discovered that these letters were dealing with real problems in those churches at that time. Nevertheless, these letters were also written for all churches. This is clear from the common refrain in each letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Churches here is plural, meaning these letters were both for the local church as well as every church. But there is a third level of application as well. Jesus Christ's repeated use of the phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear, in all seven letters, is an admonition to each and every individual as well, since all human beings have ears. Therefore, these letters were written to the local church, to all churches, and to all individuals as well. Although not accepted by all scholars, some believe these letters also have a fourth level of application in that they are prophetic. In other words, these letters seem to lay out in advance the future history of the church. Proponents of this view note that out of all the possible churches Jesus could have written to, he chose to address these seven in particular. 
there were several other important and high-profile churches at the time that Jesus could have addressed, such as the churches at Jerusalem, Galatia, Thessalonica, Iconium, or Lystra. So why didn't he write to them? It seems Jesus was laying out the specific historical timeline of the church. It is significant that if these letters were in any other order than the one presented, they wouldn't fit the historical model. If then this prophetic application is correct, then that would mean the book of Acts covers the first 30 or so years of church history, while Revelation covers the remaining 2,000. So is this fourth prophetic application valid? Well, I'm not 100% sure to be perfectly honest. I'd like to believe it, but I think more research needs to be done on the topic. But I wouldn't be surprised if it did line up, because after all, our God, the God of the Bible, and the creator of the heavens and the earth and all therein, knows the end from the beginning. Now what we do know for sure is that these letters were meant for the individual churches, and all churches, past and present, and us today as well. But what's also interesting is that Jesus wrote to seven churches, but so did the Apostle Paul. Jesus wrote to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And Paul wrote to Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossus, and Thessalonica. Very interesting. You know, it is, and, and uh, it, there are two things we need to say here, that after the third chapter of Revelation, we don't hear from the church anymore. Why is that? Because in my view, uh, the church, we're looking, at, we're looking at everything happening in the end of time from the point of view of heaven, mm -hmm. uh, because chapter four and five talk about John going to heaven and all of that. Chapter five we'll talk about tomorrow. But it's very interesting because... God shows us that he is in the process of gathering his people. And right now the Lord is doing that. Mm -hmm. And sure. uh, it really is something. It's fascinating. Good report, Ryan. Thank you. Corey, this is your report today. Go for it. It is. Okay, so on yesterday's program, we took a look at the historical event of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem back in AD 70. But today, you and I are going to be talking about the remains of the Temple Mount because if you visited the Temple Mount in modern times, it appears as if there's almost nothing left of what did once exist. I mean, there's the retaining wall of Herod and there's still the stones. You know, you can walk on the floor and you're not really sure how ancient it is. It doesn't seem like there's much left, but archaeologists actually have found some items from the Temple Mount uh, dating back to the first century. So take a look. The last Jewish temple to stand on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman military responding to a rebellion of the people. The temple and temple complex that was destroyed was the one that features on the pages of the New Testament. Herod the Great had begun renovations to it around 19 BC. And according to the stories that have passed down through history, it was Herod's crowning achievement, unrivaled in beauty. Today, we have more than stories. In 2016, archaeologists working with the Temple Mount Sifting Project announced that they had reconstructed colorful tile work that once paved the floor of the temple complex. In Opus Sectile style, these geometrically arranged tiles utilized imported stones of varying types and color, and often incorporated what has become known as Herod's Triangle, a triangle Herod used as a sort of style signature. First century historian Josephus claimed that the temple complex's open court was from end to end variegated with paving of all manner of stones. 
A small sundial was also recovered in 1972 during excavations just south of the Temple Mount. The sundial was discovered in ancient debris from the destruction of the temple. It features a carved menorah on its back and is computed to tell time in Jerusalem. The back also has two indentations that tell historians it was mounted somewhere in the temple complex to keep its time-telling accurate. Another key find from the remains of the Jerusalem temple still retain its warning. Two copies of the temple's Gentile boundary signs have been found. In 1871 and 1935, the stones were found in secondary use and still boast their Greek inscriptions warning Gentiles to go no further. The Jewish Mishnah tells of a three-foot-high wall that was built in Herod's temple complex marking a sacred area that Gentiles were not allowed to breach. The historian Josephus adds that there were warnings posted along the wall, two of which, no doubt, have now been found. So I think it's very amazing that there are any physical remnants from the first century Temple Mount at all. I mean, of course, we have uh, plenty of literary ancient sources that talk about the Temple Mount. We have the New Testament and the Old Testament of the Bible. We have the Jewish Talmud, and we also have the writings of Roman historian Flavius Josephus, who talks about a lot about the Temple Mount and its construction and what it looked like and how it operated. So uh, lots of literary remnants here, but the fact that we also have physical after so thorough a destruction and after so long of a time period in between its destruction and now lots of water under the bridge but some some remnants still exist you now you, you mentioned Flavius Josephus and he was not uh, popular among the Jewish people because he was a traitor <laughs> okay yeah I'm being nice about it but... no but that's that's what he was he was uh, you know he he was a general commander in the Jewish resistance military against the Roman Empire and then when he got put into a corner and it was death or go over to the enemy he let all of his men die and then he went over to the enemy I think with one other man uh, and he started working for the Romans so uh, he was seen as a traitor because he switched sides in the middle of a battle uh, but you know, we're tremendously lucky to have his writings today and the fact that he survived in order to pass on this history. It's really invaluable, the insight that he's able to give. So while he, you know, was not really a morally upstanding person, you can question his loyalties all day long. I, I for one, am glad that we at least have his writings. I, I, I am too, but that's one of the reasons why the Jewish historians don't really like him from that point of view. Yeah, fair. Many of the Jewish, not all of them, but many of the Jewish historians. Very good. Excellent. Remember that Church 365 is a program, not like a television program like this one, but it's a program, a plan to help you as you have a Bible study or you work with your church or whatever, to get deeper, we send out questions with the Digital Bible Guide and we've got a lot of digital assets that we tie into the scripture that we're reading and we're making a big uh, effort at this next year in 2022. So call us or write us and ask about it. Church 365, Janice? Yes, well, in Revelation chapter three, in the parts that we've read today, we talk about the dead church, which is located in, it's the church in Sardis. Then we learn about the faithful church, which is the church located in Philadelphia here in this reading in Revelation. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, but the Greek word for Philadelphia actually means brotherly love. And that is the church that is called the faithful church. 
Now, I titled my segment, Be Ready, because that's what I'm getting most definitely from these two churches, one that's classified as a dead church and the other as a faithful church. Jesus says to the dead church, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent, he says. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So Jesus is giving a warning here, many warnings, but his big warning there is be ready because I'm going to come. And if you're not watching, if you're not ready, if you haven't repented, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Nobody plans to be robbed. Nobody knows when a thief comes. And this is the point that Jesus is making. We must be watchful. We must be ready. Now to the faithful church, Jesus says right out in verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Jesus is telling us to be ready. The church must be ready for his return. Does that mean we hide away? Does that mean we just sit and wait? No, we are to do the great commission. That is to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are commissioned as ambassadors for Christ to be that ambassador, to represent our Lord Jesus well, to tell the message that God sent his only begotten Son to die for our sins, to pay that cost so that we can be forgiven and that um, relationship with God the Father can be restored and then to have eternal life. This is what we need to be ready and action for. The sudden return of the Lord Jesus is a wonderful incentive for us, for you and me, believer, to persevere in faithful service to him. That means getting out there, not hiding away, not retreating, but sharing our testimony telling what the Lord has done and living that witness, not just mouth service, but actual service to be that ambassador, the light and the salt that we are to be in this world. Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Janice. Excellent. So this is very exciting as we look at this. And I want to tell you that on the next program, it's the fourth and the fifth chapter of Revelation. We're going to get deeper into this. It's going to be great. So make sure that you make time, or you can watch us in your time at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's Bible Discovery. I just want to remind you to get a hold of our Bible guide for next year, and it is something. We're going to continue going through new scriptures, and you have to be on the mailing list. You have to, because we send it out automatically. So make sure that you write us, call us, or go to the online version and uh, update it from there. Put your name in. Today, let's pray this way and say it like this. Lord, help me to hear and understand what you have said in your word in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.